Church family, would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word in Acts chapter 13. Our reading this morning will only be a few verses, and it's from these verses we want to launch off uh, this morning um, in our study. So Acts 13, beginning in verse 13, you'll recall if you were here last week, kind of where we are on the plot line of Acts is uh, Paul and Barnabas and John Mark have gone on this first missionary journey. Get to verse 13, and I'm going to read one of the phrases in this section a couple of times so you'll get the emphasis of where we want to go this morning. Uh, Now, Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia, and John left them. You hearing it? John left them and returned to Jerusalem. John walked away. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch and Pisidia, and on the Sabbath day they went into the synagogue and sat down. Let's pray together. Father, my prayer in particular this morning is for those of us who have or are or will come to a moment in our lives when we just want to walk away because of fear, maybe because of deep doubt, significant questions in our lives. Are these things even true? Is Jesus who he says he is? Is the Bible trustworthy? Am I living my life for what is real and what really matters? I thank you that you've preserved in Scripture somebody who came to a moment like that, John Mark, And I pray that you'd use his life and his story as we can piece it together in Scripture for our good this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you may be seated. Now, if there was never a moment this week where you wrestled with doubt or disobedience, anybody here this week, you didn't wrestle with any doubts, and you were never tempted to disobey the Lord. Anybody here? Uh, Okay, because this sermon probably won't be for you. For those rest 100% of us, who do wrestle with significant doubts, who wrestle with significant fears, who, um, who, who, are, who are faced with significant temptations, uh, John Mark and his life will have much to say to us uh, this morning. And so what I really want to do is take a few scenes that we can piece together from John Mark's life. Now, uh, his given name was John. As we said a couple of weeks ago, it seemed like about every other male child born in those days went by the name of John, and so, so they often would call him by something else, and so you'll sometimes hear him referred to in the Bible as John Mark, other times as, as just Mark. So we're going to piece together a few scenes from his life um, and see what it was, perhaps, that brought him to this point. Now, you see it here in the Scripture. They've gone through this um, arduous journey. They've been in hard places They've wrestled with demonic forces. They've been in some stressful environments. And as Paul and his companion Barnabas and their gospel partnership, they've brought along a younger man, John Mark, uh, this this younger guy who's going to help them and be their companion. And they're about to continue on in their journey, right? Paul and Barnabas, and we're going to continue to preach the gospel. And kind of in my mind, the scene, my mind, they're sort of on the dock. The boats come in in Perga. If you look in your first missionary journeys of the Apostle Paul map, you can find Perga there. It's this uh, um, city right there on the sea. And John Mark comes to the point where they're going to keep going. And John Mark says, I'm not going to keep going. I'm I'm not going to continue on with you. In fact, I'm headed back to hometown. I'm going back to Jerusalem. So let's think through what goes on in his life because um, I would venture to say the complex issues that John Mark wrestles with, by and large, many of you are going to have these same complex issues in your own heart and in your own life. So the very first reference we get to John Mark is actually back here in the Gospel of um, of Mark. Spoiler alert, by the way, on how it's going to work out in his life. Turn to the Gospel of Mark, (laughs) chapter 14, and you see a, a pretty interesting little uh, scene here. The first reference we get to John Mark is, is here. And what I want to do as we look at these scenes, I want to build up, um, build up a series of advantages that John Mark had in his life. 
a series of blessings that he has. And you'll see them. Uh, they'll be very clear as we see these scenes in his life. So let's start with the very first one. And the very first advantage that John Mark has is he has amazing access to important events. Amazing access to important events. He's an eyewitness to the most significant event in all of human history. So here we go in Mark 14, verse 51. I don't know if you've ever read through and got to this scene and you just puzzled and say, that was really, really strange. In Mark 14, we're right in the middle of Jesus being arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, and, and they come and, and arrest him. And it says in verse 50, they all left him and fled. That's talking about the disciples, right? Peter, for all, his, all of his boasting, I'll never uh, deny you. I'll be with you to the end. I'll lay my life down for you. Verse 50, they all left him and fled. And then it says in verse 51, and a young man followed him. So you've got it in your mind. Jesus has just been arrested, and they're leading him out. And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body. So, so who is this young man? Now here's where I need to uh, give you a little bit more insight is uh, a lot of Bible scholars believe that John Mark's house is actually the house that Jesus and the disciples had the Last Supper in. We clearly know when we get to the book of Acts, in fact, we'll see this in the next scene, that John Mark's house was sort of the hub of activity. And we'll see in just a moment when Peter is miraculously delivered from prison, where does he go? The Bible will say, we'll read in just a moment, he went to Mary, the mother of John Mark, home where they were all gathered praying. So John Mark lives in a home who, who has a lot of activity and access to really, really important things. And so if you piece the things together, if Jesus and his disciples did use John Mark in that upper room, uh, it seems to be that their family was a family of some means and had been there and they had eaten the Last Supper and then they depart. It seems that John Mark, he's got just this, we would call it, you know, kind of today, his pajamas on and he kind of goes into the garden and he's always on the periphery and he's just kind of watching and they arrest Jesus. And we get here in verse 51, a young man, that's John Mark, it's a biographical insight. He's the one writing this. Uh, with nothing but a linen cloth about his body, and they seized him. Right? He gets to following too closely. They seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. Kind of a strange scene, isn't it? But it gives us a little bit of insight into John Mark's life as he has incredible access, amazing access to important events. In other words, he had seen these things for himself, Right? He was there. He was there when Jesus was arrested. He was in Jerusalem when Jesus, and if you continue to read there in Mark uh, 14, 53, they led Jesus to the high priest. He's there that night. He had amazing access to important events. What I would like to say to you, you might say, well, I, I, I wasn't there and I wasn't in my pajamas that night or so on and so forth. But friends, if you've got this book before you, and it's written out for you, and it's in a language that you can read and understand. You have an amazing, amazing advantage over thousands and thousands and thousands of people in the world right now who have no church, who have no Bible, who have no uh, access to these insights and these events. I pray God would give us the grace to see what a privilege we have when we have access to the gospel the way that we do. So advantage number one that John Mark had in his life, amazing access to important events. So let's flip over here to Acts chapter 12, and I want you to see another advantage that John Mark had. Acts chapter 12, and beginning in verse number 12, we studied this a few weeks back, so we won't uh, reiterate all those things. I just want you to see uh, Acts 12, 12, when he, this is Peter, realized this, that the angel had delivered him from prison. I want you to notice where he goes. He went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer, recognizing Peter's voice. And you see the rest of that scene. So, so number one, first off, I want you to see John Mark had amazing access to important events. Number two, here's the second advantage John Mark has. John Mark has a family of faith. John Mark comes from a family of faith. Uh, Peter, um, if you just, I mean, I'll just state the very obvious. He's out of prison. He's been delivered. Where's the first place that he goes? First place he goes is to John Mark's house, right? To Mary, uh, who, uh, to 
to Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark. Mary's house, another way of saying it, obviously, is John Mark's house. When the people got together to pray, where did they go? Went to John Mark's house. When Peter's liberated from prison, where's the first place he thinks to go? I'm going to go over to John Mark's house. Why? Because I believe that's where my friends are. That's where the praying people are. And that's where I'm going to go. Again, many Bible scholars think it's it's this house, John Mark's house, that was the upper room of the Last Supper. And again, we can understand that's how John Mark followed Jesus and the disciples into the garden. They heard them singing the song, remember? The the scriptures record the Last Supper's over. They left the house singing a hymn and went down to the Garden of Gethsemane. And apparently John Mark kind of tracked along and followed them from there. And Peter obviously knows this house very well. It's the first place he goes after being released from prison. John Mark comes from a household of faith. And I ask you a question. Do you come from a household of faith? Do you grow up in a praying home? When Peter walks into John Mark's house, the Bible says many are gathered there praying. Do you come from a home like that? Uh, last, uh, last spring, uh, we had our home group and had one of the home groups in our house. And uh, that particular night, we had divided the ladies and the men. And the men gathered together in my dining room to uh, to encourage each other and to pray for one another. And uh, we were in there praying, and then I hear this. It's a sound I often hear in my house. I hear, heard this. It's the, it's the tap, tap of little feet coming our way. And it was my two-year-old, Juliana. And she got closer and closer and closer, and then she entered the dining room. Eight men around the table. And I watched her as she walked in and her little carefree self, and then got into our uh, dining room and heard these eight men, and I saw the look on her face. I'm decent because she's my daughter interpreting the facial expression and here's what the thought was what in the world's going on in here right what are these men doing around the table and so I looked at her and she kind of identified me as a familiar face and she kind of walked slowly up to me and lifted up her arms and she picked her up and sat her down on my lap and some of the other men were praying just praying and she sat there for a moment looked up at me looked at them and I could see it registering in her face at least this much these men in here are doing something important. Something going on that this isn't playtime, this isn't whatever, this is something that's uh, reverent and important. And uh, yeah, I'm not going to tell you that she sat there and bowed down on her face and, uh, uh, for the next 30 minutes. She kinda, and then she kind of, after a few minutes, pat, 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 back out of the room. But I want to tell you how blessed I was to have her there and I thank the Lord that my daughter gets to see that in her own home. That men gather together, believers gather together, children gather together, the church gathered together in her own home praying. The blessing that is, and that is the blessing that John Mark has had in his life, right? He grows up in a household of faith, not a household where we go to church and then when we leave the church, we leave it there. And then we come home and our home doesn't have anything to do with that stuff. Do you know what I'm saying? That, I, I don't know of anything more destructive to the faith of a child than to ha- have a family that goes to church and worships together, but then to go home and it's almost like the two have nothing to do with one another. Uh, John Mark's mother brought prayer into his house. Many were gathered together and were praying. John Mark had the wonderful advantage of having amazing access to important events. He had a family of faith do you come from a family of faith i just want you to know if you grew up in a home that was a praying house what a huge significant advantage you've had it's an advantage i aim to give my own children acts chapter 12 verse 25 gives us the next advantage so so you see two things two things great in john mark's life he was there for himself. He saw it for himself. Access to the important events there the night Jesus is crucified. And secondly, it comes from a household of faith. And the third one we'll get here in verse 25 of the same chapter. Acts chapter 12, verse 25. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service. Look at it. Bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. So do you remember why uh, uh, Paul and Barnabas had come to Jerusalem from Antioch to begin with, right? If you've been tracking along with us through these, it's one of the great reasons, by the way, we preach through whole books of the Bible, because we can put all these things together. When Paul and Barnabas were in Antioch, they got word that back in Jerusalem, uh, a famine had come and people were not having enough food to eat. So the Antioch, remember this, the Antioch Christians, many of them who'd already lost everything, right? 
many of them who'd come to Jerusalem and had had to leave Jerusalem because of the great persecution that had broken out against them, they resettle in Antioch, and then they get together, pull their resources, and they're going to send famine relief back to the believers in Jerusalem. And who do they entrust to take the relief? Well, they, take, they give it to Paul and Barnabas. And as I read along, what makes most sense to me is we know that John Mark, not only was his household a household of faith, it was apparently a household of some means. Why do we know this? We know this because uh, when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. So John Mark's family was... Uh, had, had enough means that they had servants, and one of the little girls, the servant girl Rhoda, went to Peter and so on and so forth. But so as you just understand, what I think must have happened was when Paul and Barnabas brought the famine relief back to Jerusalem, John Mark said, well, my family has a family of some means, but what I will do is I will help distribute what you've collected to other people. And that's where he and Paul and Barnabas must have got to know each other a little bit better. So when Paul and Barnabas are going to leave Jerusalem and go back to Antioch, what does it say? Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, and now they're bringing John Mark along with him. So here's the third advantage. John Mark had godly and mature mentors. Paul and Barnabas, can you think, by the way, of a better mentor in your life, a, a better pair of mentors in your life than Paul and Barnabas? And that's what has happened. He's packed up. He's going to go back. John Mark is... Uh, <coughs> with Paul and Barnabas. Paul believed strongly. We learned this in his life. Paul believed strongly in loving, mentoring, teaching, sharing with, molding, and sending out young people. It's incredibly important to him. And we know that John Mark is a young man. How do we know that? Mark, right? A young man. Just, so, um, can just ask a question real, real quick, not to embarrass anybody. If you're between the ages of 11, let's say 11 and 21, would you just stand for a moment? Between the ages of 11 and 21, and you're here today. All right, 11 and 21, there you go. Awesome, and there's a wonderful group of people right here. 11 and 21, now you, now you can be seated, right? Now, church, church, we just have to, to know this from Paul's perspective. Your life has so much to do with their lives. It's, it's not this group over here and then that group over there. But Paul believed, Paul believed one of the most important things he could do in his life was to mentor, share with, pray for, love, encourage young people in this strategic season of their life. Now, we're going to get to it in a moment. You, you've already anticipated, we've already read it, that John Mark comes to a moment where he has kind of a crisis of faith, a crisis of belief. And you know when most, not all, but you know when most people in their life decide one way or the other, I'm either going this way or I'm going that way. You know when it is? The, the season we just referenced. Somewhere in those ages, right? 14, 15, 16, 17, 19, 20, college years, right? 20, 21. When, when, when you start asking the deeper questions, do you know what I mean? When platitude answers aren't enough anymore, right? That, that's why it's so incredibly important. One, for people to learn to study and trust and, and love the Scripture for themselves because there's going to come a day uh, just in the same way that uh, Juliana's good with baby food right now. She's not going to be good with baby food when she's 30. And, and there comes a time in your life where the platitude answers, or even more dangerous, the concept that we don't even need to ask the big questions becomes really, really, really dangerous. You know what? In a lot of young people's lives, that's what happens. They start asking, and we can't be a church that says, well, no, no, no you don't need to a ask that question, right? You think Paul was equipped to ask some, excuse me, answer some deep questions? Absolutely he was. We want to be a people like that too. It's so incredibly important for the church to be engaged in this. A recent survey, for what surveys are worth, of young people between the ages of 18 and 24 asked, who's the most influential person in your life? You know who number one was? Parents. Who do you think was number two on the list? Number two on the list was this answer, another caring adult. That's number two on the list. You see the advantages that John had? I don't think it was just true, just true now. I think it's true. It's kind of universal. Adults have such an important role to, to play in the lives of young people. So we started and asked, um, man, you've got access. You got access to, uh, to the scripture, to the things of God. Uh, secondly, did you come from a household of faith? Not all of us did in the room, right? And third, 
are you able to look back on your life and see the influence of another caring adult or adults, right? Again, we won't make you raise your hand or put it on the string, but is there someone in your past that played a significant role in your life as a follower of Jesus Christ? I, I, I look back on my life, 37 years old now, and I look back when I was 14 and 15 and 16, and I can state their names, one after the other, after the other. There, there's a man I'll never forget. He doesn't have any idea of the influence he had in my life. My dad passed away when I was 15 years old, August of 1994. And uh, I didn't know it at the time, you know, um, what a, I mean, I knew it was obviously a significant event in my life, but I didn't know how um, just tired I had gotten after the funeral and the visitation and just feeling this weight as a believer at, at 15 years old, about to start my sophomore year of high school, uh, wanting, wanting to everything to be okay and I'll still be this strong believer in the Lord in the midst of this. And this guy who um, was an was a, a adult volunteer in our student ministry invited me over to his house. So I went over there and I sat down on his couch and I felt, y'all, I fell asleep. Now his, this, this man and his wife had three young sons. At the time, they were probably 10, 8, and 5, something, something along those lines. I fell asleep on his couch. Now, on a Saturday afternoon at 1 o'clock, I woke up at 8 p.m. And now, y'all, you think that's just such a, it's not a small thing. That um, he cared enough, was insightful enough to say, you know what Brandon probably needs? He probably just needs a quiet place to rest. And his busy household on a Saturday afternoon just let me sleep, just let me sleep right there, Right? Another caring uh, adult. I don't know what they did. They must have left the house or something. I don't really keep three boys quiet like that. Had his own family, had his own job. He was busy, but he, he cared. And, and then another one is uh, <laughs> there, was a, there was a gentleman in our church who called me up on a Saturday morning and said, I need your help. I said, well, okay. Because here's one thing that all, uh, for the most part, young men can do. They can move stuff, right? So I need your help. There was an older couple in our church who was moving. Uh, they were moving from one uh, uh, house and into an apartment. He said, I need your help that we can get them moved in a day. I said, okay, I'll be, I'll, I'll be glad to help. I'll be honest. I was like a lot of 14, 15 years old. I didn't really want to help, but okay, what are you going to do? He called you. He was going to go help. He picked me up. We went and we moved. Uh, worked all day long. I mean, it was hard work. Lifting I still remember the refrigerator. I thought the thing was going to, you got it? Yeah, I got it. And he let me, oh, okay, I think I got it. At the end of the day, those two older people came up to that man, got out their wallet, started to pay. He said, no, 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 y'all went to church. He, he didn't preach a sermon. Here's what he said. I still remember it. He said, um, the Bible says people will know we're disciples of the Lord by how we love each other. Just a small way I wanted to demonstrate that I loved you. I got in the car, truck, he drove me home. No sermon, no three-point outline. No, seemingly no organized plan. Just a Saturday afternoon demonstrating with actions that the church is supposed to care about people. John Mark, look who his mentors are. Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John Mark. I mean, that, that trip, can you imagine? That would have been a great trip to be on, right? You're just with Paul and Barnabas 24-7. Can you imagine a better, a better means of, of learning? See, we see right here already in the church in Jerusalem. Now look where they go to. Chapter 13. You want another advantage? Here's another advantage. Now there were in the church at Antioch, prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, a member of the court of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So here's the next advantage, is that John Mark, both in Jerusalem and now in Antioch, he's a part of a Christ-exalting church. Christ-exalting church. You might remember Acts 9, 23 and 24. There was in the church in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria peace. The church was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It multiplied. That is the primary scripture, I pray, for this church. It's a great privilege to be a part of a Christ-exalting church. Amen? A great picture of 
of what a healthy church looks like we have in Acts, the people caring about each other. Christ and the gospel are not secondary. They're primary in their preaching and their teaching and in their, how they treat one another. And they're actively engaged in taking the message of Jesus to those around them. And they even endure great hardship and suffering for Christ. And John Mark is there. You see these advantages, right? Access. Household of faith. Godly and mature mentors. Christ-exalting church. Have you had any of these same advantages in your life? But then let's flip it around. Let's ask it this way. Are you actively offering these advantages from your life into the lives of others? In your, in your family, if you're in that season where you're bringing up children, or you've got grandchildren, you've got nieces, you've got nephews, are you a source for those growing up of building a household and a family of faith? Are you providing a home for your children where they're loved for and forgiven where they're prayed for by name, spurred on, encouraged, and challenged. Are you opening up your own life? See, one of the things that we are prone and tempted to do is just kind of close ourselves off from everybody. Just do our own thing in our own time, doing what we want to do when, when we want to do it, right? But Paul and Barnabas, you see the doors are wide open, and they step out. John Mark, you want to come with us? Paul doesn't look at John Mark and say, no, we're good. We don't really need you. Are, are you... Um, opening up your life to be a source of compassion and concern for someone younger as they grow up in their faith. Now, what you see very frequently all through Paul's ministry is he has a gospel partner like we talked about last week, and he's always got someone who's younger that he's bringing along because Paul understands an important lesson. He's not going to be here forever, right? Like these Olympic athletes when they pass the baton. Have you seen it? You don't want to get to the end of your life and hold out the baton and nobody's standing there, right? Nobody's there. Wasn't going to be true of, of Paul. Hey, and are you uh, actively doing your part to ensure that this church, Calvary Baptist, is a Christ-exalting church? Now, these are the great sources that God often uses to provide stability and maturity in the life of believers. So you take them again. You ready? Um, just Let's list them again. Here's the advantages. He had personal access to significant events. He had a household of faith. He had godly mentors, and he had a Christ-exalting church. Those are four great advantages, right? There are four things that build a good foundation. So if, say, you were the enemy and your plan was the opposite of that, building a life of faith, but building a life of skepticism, of doubt, of fear, of anxiety, don't you think the obvious would be true that you'd want to take out some of those advantages, right? That's why a divided church is a mighty tool in the hand of the enemy, right? That's why a household of, of, of faith is a mighty tool for the Lord, but the opposite could be true, right? That's why from the get-go, God had told Adam, you've got to protect this garden, right? You've got to protect and love and serve. Or maybe it'd be your uh, priority to well, we know this from the Scripture, to blind the eyes, to not get access to the precious words of God to, to people. But, here's the hard reality. You ready? Even when all those advantages are present, it does not mean hard seasons will not come. Seasons of doubt and fear, and maybe even throwing in the towel and saying, I don't think I even believe these things, right? Anybody ever had a season like that? I did. I, I can remember as clear as day, freshman year, back to the season, right? Uh, 20, what, what, no, no, not 20, I'm not even that old yet, 18 years old, freshman dorm, sitting at my desk, having just returned from um, introduction to Christianity taught by a professor who didn't believe much of the things that I had taught and grown up and believing and just these things all these things called into question I remember sitting there thinking to myself are these things even true have I been deceived if I'm just believing things that aren't really true have you ever been there John Mark's there look at it you say well how are you getting that John Mark it seems pretty ambiguous to me John just left them right 
Well, maybe he just was planning to be there for a short time. Well, that might be true, except for Acts 15. Let's turn over there. Let's look what happens here. Do you think Paul is um, a godly man? I do. You think Barnabas is a godly man? I do. But I want you to notice, in other words, these are not men that are just going to have an argument for argument's sake. Look what happens. Acts 15, 36. We'll get to these. We'll study these uh, verses uh, in a few weeks, how um, even when godly people disagree, how you can work through it. Because that will happen in your life too. Acts 15, verse 36. After some days, okay, um, sorry, I should have prefaced, that the first missionary journey was over. About midway through, John Mark left, and then Paul and Barnabas continued on, and they continued to preach, and they continued to see people saved, and they continued to build up the kingdom of God, and then they themselves returned to Jerusalem for something called the Jerusalem Council. We'll get to that as well. So suffice to say, when we get to verse 36, all that first missionary journey is in the rearview mirror, and they're gearing up, they're gearing up to go on another journey. So that's when we get to verse 36. After some days... Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now, Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. All right, you see it? We're getting ready to go again, getting ready to head out again. Let's uh, practice this. Let's take a younger person with us. Let's get John Mark. Verse 38. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had This time in my translation, it's not just that he left us. Look what it says. Had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone on with them to the work. Real simple, right? Barnabas says, we're about to leave. Let's let's take John Mark. Paul says, we're not taking John Mark. Barnabas says, let's take John Mark. Paul says, we are not taking John Mark. Look what happened. Verse 39, these reasonable prayerful, gospel-proclaiming, godly men, there arose a sharp disagreement, so they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Let's keep reading. Paul's not saying we're not taking young people anymore. He just says we're not taking John Mark. Because you get to verse 1 of chapter 16. Paul came also to Derbe and Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. But his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. So Paul's not saying I'm out of the mentoring business. He's just saying I'm not taking John Mark. So let's boil it down. Here's what's going on. His, John Mark had withdrawn from them. They're going to go again. Barnabas said, I think we need to give John Mark a second chance. And Paul stands over there and says, John Mark needs to change. He's not ready. He needs to grow up. You remember Barnabas is the one, by the way, who brought Paul himself into the church at Jerusalem. When Paul didn't have a friend in the world. You remember? back in Acts chapter 9 wasn't it Paul sought to join the disciples but they would would not welcome him in for they did not believe he was a disciple but Barnabas took him and brought him and this is a deep friendship have you ever had a sharp disagreement with a true friend these are gospel partners one says A the other says B right Barnabas says he needs a second chance Paul says He needs to change. We know John Mark withdrew. We know he left. We know he bailed out. We know he did not continue in the work. What we don't know is exactly why. But what we can readily conclude is that whatever the reason was, it did not sit well with Paul, right? Whatever the justification was that John Mark says, I'm going back to Jerusalem, Paul didn't think that that had been a good idea, that he had left them hanging. And Paul's not one to easily hold grudges, is he? I mean, he's the, he is the apostle of grace and forgiveness. He's got great spiritual discernment and a close walk with Christ. Personal relationships are important to Paul. He's not one who's just going to easily cast off a friendship. He purposed to pour his life into young people. So we're not quite sure what led John Mark to withdraw. Was he homesick? Well, we know he returned to Jerusalem. Did he just miss home? 
Was he wrestling with fears and doubts? Had that whole scene with the magician right over in Cyprus wigged him out? We don't exactly know what was going on in his mind. But when he got to Perga, we know that he got in a boat and sailed home. You ever been there? Ever been to Perga? Man, I don't know. Barnabas. John Mark needs a second chance. Paul. John Mark needs to change. What team would you be on? Right? It's sort of like Captain America and Iron Man all of a sudden here, right? We've got the Civil War going on in the kingdom. Who would you line up behind? Or, then I just want you to answer it in your own heart. Which one are you most prone? What message are you most prone to deliver? They need a second chance. Someone who's failed you. Someone who's bailed out. Someone who left in Perga right when you needed them the most. They're not there. They don't continue in the work. They withdrew from you. When that happens, which are you most prone to? It's the same. They need a second chance or they need to change and they need to grow up. Now, here's the question. Which one was true of John Mark? Well, let's get a few verses together. First uh, Thessalonians. I want you to see. We'll look at two scriptures for a few moments. First Thessalonians and Second Timothy. You'll be finding those two books. We'll start in First Thessalonians. If you look in First Thessalonians, a little smaller, shorter epistle of Paul, uh, you just identified chapter one, verse one: Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. Right? Paul, Silas, and Timothy. So this is a letter that Paul writes to a church that he planted and started during that second missionary journey after he had left Barnabas and after he had left with John Mark, right? We're all on the same page. But look what, look what Paul says here, chapter 2, verse 6. We'll read 6 through 12. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked, right? That's what Paul says. We've got to have somebody who's ready to work. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. He uses two metaphors. He says, number one, we were gentle among you like a nursing mom, right? A gentleness. Rockabye baby, right? You know how gentle you have to be with a little one? All right. But then he goes on and says, but we were also like a father, exhorted. Stand up straight. Get going. Get moving. Put those things. Now, which is ministry, friends, right? Is ministry to be like a gentle mom, singing softly, forgiving and compassionate? Or, or, or is ministry to be like a, a, a father who's disciplining his children, saying, well, these things, we need to cut these things out. Now, I know you've already made some conclusions that it's really not one or the other, is it? It's really not a matter of, does Barnabas... Is Barnabas right in saying John Mark needs a second chance? Or is Paul right in saying he needs to grow up and change? Which is true. Yes. Right? They're, they're both true. Which do you need in your life? And there's some people this morning that you just need to hear. You are so weighed down with guilt and, and shame. You need to hear that God is compassionate towards you. He is merciful. He is kind. He is forgiving. God shows his love for us while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. That's the measure of God's love for you. He doesn't want to discard you. You're not worthless in his sight. But there's also, we need to know that not only does God forgive us, he also empowers us to overcome the sin we committed to begin with. Amen? Some of us, it'd be as silly as if you went home and found Julie rocking me to bed tonight. It'd be a strange scene, wouldn't it? You wouldn't think that would be strange if she's doing that with two-year-old Juliana. She does it every night. Got a little blue bear and she rocks it, right? It's a matter of as you're maturing, as you're maturing. Now you need to, you need to put those things away, right? Some of us don't need to say, here, just, you struggle with that stronghold sin. Oh, you can be forgiven. You also need to hear, you need to put that stuff away. 
Flee sexual immorality, the Scripture says. Be done with it. That bitter attitude, that stronghold, you need to put it away. One more Scripture and we'll be done. Over here in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Second Timothy 4, 1, we'll do this quickly. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is judged the living and the dead, and by the appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. So Paul's writing to Timothy. He's about to pass the baton. Paul's come to the end of his life. Be ready in season and out of season. What does that mean? That means there's some days you can stand up and say, For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, so that whoever believes in him would not perish, amen, but have everlasting life. There's some seasons in history you can stand up and say that, and everybody says amen. And there's some seasons you can stand up, and it's increasingly so, I believe, in our own day. You can stand up and say that, and they say you've lost your mind. Be ready in season, out of season. The seasons change, right? Anybody ready for fall? Praise God Almighty, fall is coming. Seasons change. Seasons change. Word of God does not change. Here's what the Word of God does. Reprove rebuke and exhort with complete patience and teaching right we need both in our lives we need to be exhorted encouraged but there are also times we need to be rebuked my child's about to run out into the street i don't come alongside and say well that's not me. i say stop you destroy yourself and it takes some spiritual wisdom and discernment to know which is which right there's some sins, man, if you get caught, if you go that way, it will destroy you, it will destroy your family. All sin is destructive. Let me just say that. There's some things you just need to be done with right now. And that's what Paul said. I think when they're gearing up, he said, I can't take John Mark right now. But look down here. Ready for the insight. Second Timothy, written many years after that scene with Paul and Barnabas. Look what happens. Verse 9. Do your best to come to me soon, writing to Timothy. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Now, when I read that verse, I think of so many people in my own heart, my own life. For a season, they said, well, we're with you, right? Student pastor, 2004 to 2008. So many 14 and 15 and 16-year-olds then who are now 24, 25, 26-year-olds now in love with this present world, deserted. I don't want anything to do with Jesus. Gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia. Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. And then look what he says. Is Mark a deserter? Get Mark and bring him with you. For he is very useful to me for ministry. Right? It's the long road, right, friends? There'd been a moment years before when Paul had said, what? Don't bring John Mark with you. He's not useful to me for ministry. And then the long road. Long road. What? Second chance. Grace extended. But also believe in John Mark's life. Growing up had been done. It had to be a conversation at some point, right? Why isn't Paul with us? Well, here's why Paul's not with us. He said, you got these shortcomings in your life. Right? If you're ever going to mature as a believer, you need both. Mark's useful. I have this habit, and so I apologize. There is one more scripture that I want us to see. And it's where we started over here in Mark 14. I go back to freshman year, sitting in my dorm room. Heard all these things, read all these things. Read them all, right? I want to tell you, I don't believe following Jesus means that you stick your head in your sand and you don't ever ask any questions, right? I read the authors, I read Sam Harris and Hitchens and on down the line. Atheists who don't believe these things. You know, it's not a matter of following Jesus, it's not a matter of asking the questions, right? But, but where did John Mark, here's, what, here's, my, here's my conviction, it's where I had to come in my own life and in your own season of doubt or fear, or anxiety or questioning, I just commend this to you. Mark 14, <clears throat> 51 A young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body. 
and they seized him. But he left the linen cloth and he ran away naked, right? Young man's following. Then he becomes nervous, right? An enemy approaches. And they look mighty, they look powerful, they look strong. Now from the outside, right, we understand. Here's Jesus, he's being led away. But here's the question, here's, here's the question. Mark's looking there, sees Jesus, and this is before Jesus has been um, beaten and mocked and spit upon. The last moments, really, of Jesus' life here on earth where he doesn't have marred by violence. And, and, and then Jesus is surrounded by all these other soldiers, right? And you can hear the clinking of their swords and their boots as they march. And it looks like this army is so mighty, right? And that's what it says. And they seized John Mark. And they seized him. And he ran away. And if you keep reading verse 53, they led Jesus to the high priest. Oh, man, the high priest, he looks so impressive. His degrees and his knowledge and his intellect. And the elders and the scribes came together, and they're all opposed to Jesus. And here's Peter, you know, Mr. Promise Maker. I'll never, I'll lay down my life for you. Peter followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. John Mark, here's the, here's the main point, I think, I hope, is this is what you've got to resolve in your life. In the seasons of doubt, the seasons of fear, the big questions. What in the world is Jesus doing here? That's what it all comes down to, friends. Who is he? Why is he here? What is he doing? That's, if your faith's not rooted there, it, it's not rooted in much. Because Mark withdraws in Perga, doesn't he? Peter, if we kept reading, Peter denies Jesus by the charcoal fire. Paul starts out as a persecutor. John Mark ran away that's what we learned about him he kind of runs away jesus keeps right on walking right john mark runs away jesus keeps going and where is jesus going he's going to the cross and that's friends that's where it's got to go in your heart your mind your doubts whatever significant questions got to start answering this question what is jesus doing hanging there why is he there he could have fled he could have run away but he doesn't he stays that he says i've come to seek and save the lost no one takes my life from me i lay it down of my own accord then if you're there in mark uh chapter i just want you to lift your eyes you got it right at the top of your page you see it whose name's on this book you know who it is? It's John Mark. You see his name there? Concluding point. Who does the Holy Spirit use to write down and record the message of the sinless life, the sacrificial death, and the victorious resurrection of Jesus Christ? A young man who had a time in his life when he needed a second chance and he needed to change. A young man that in the long view of the kingdom was useful for ministry friends i don't know about many things that are more useful than being used to the lord to write the gospel of mark would you stand with me and we'll pray together and we're going to move right into our time of invitation and response and it's really really simple our invitation this this morning for some of us, I'd just encourage you, maybe it would be that you just spend this invitation time thanking God for one of these glorious advantages, the access that you have to the Scripture. If it's been your experience to grow up into a household of faith, maybe you'd take a, a second, a, a, another step and just express to your parents or your grandparents or your aunt, your uncle, somebody who, who has a, in your family that was a godly influence, and you just let them know. Maybe it's a godly mentor, and you just write them this week saying, you might not know the influence that you had in my life, but here's what I want to share with you. For some of us, in that same point, it would be a re resolution that, like Paul, you're going to take the initiative to love and encourage people in that season of their life. You're not going to be cynical about young people. You're not going to throw up your hands and say, oh, young people today. No, you're not going to see them that way. You're going to see them as 
possessors of great potential for the kingdom of God. Maybe it'd be your heart as we enter the invitation to really purpose that you're going to build up Calvary as a Christ-exalting church. Be someone who prays for the church, loves people. And then, and then on that same uh, spirit of the message, some people need to hear this morning. You need Barnabas' ministry, friends. You need to know you can have a second chance. Say, well, man, I withdrew in Perga. Yeah, we all have. And anybody in this room doesn't need a second chance. And maybe you've heard somebody say, you're no longer useful for ministry. But I tell you this, it wasn't the Lord who said that. Now, everybody who's humble and repents, the Lord says, I'll use you to proclaim the message of the gospel. And then the truth of the matter is that some of us need Paul's ministry. You just need to change. You need to grow up. You need to put away some things. And they go together, friends, don't they? It's the grace of God. Grace of God is never extended to forgive without also extending the power to overcome. So, Father, would you lead our invitation time? Now, Paul and Barnabas, they, they had a disagreement. They, neither one of them saw the whole picture. But I believe the Holy Spirit does. And so, Spirit of the living God, you know exactly what each person needs. And so, would you come and bring it? The message of grace for a second chance or the message of truth. And we need to change and grow up and put off some stuff so it'll be useful for ministry. Father, all of us, all of us have and are prone to running away, dropping out, withdrawing. Thank you that in the Garden of Gethsemane, in his agony, Jesus made a decision. And his decision was, I'm not withdrawing. I'm going to go to Calvary. I'm going to lay my life down. So, and, and to bring it full circle, Father, what we want to really believe is because of Jesus, second chances are possible. And because of Jesus, sin can be put away. Lead our invitation time. Help us to be worshipful, prayerful. In Jesus' name, amen.